Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio, for woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 103 for August 29th, 2012. On today's show, we have two special guests and two convention recaps. A friend of the show, Rob Boas, is here to tell us about his experience at Fine Woodworking Live a couple weeks back. And Dave Campbell, editorial content chief at Wood Magazine, is here to tell us all about all the cool gizmos and gadgets and all that good stuff that he saw at IWF Atlanta this past weekend. So before we get into the good stuff, Matt, if you can tell them how they can get in touch with us, that would be very cool. Absolutely. If you ever have a comment, a question about something in today's show or something you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode, or if you would like to express either of our special guests, uh, their condol- your condolence for having to be on the show and put <laughs> up with us, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. You can reach us by Skype, which is would talk online or you can call our voicemail at 623-242-5180 don't forget you can do it the old-fashioned way and email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com and of course you can stop by our individual sites at mattsbasementworkshop.com and don't worry about the other ones they're not that important uh i'm just kidding you can go over to the woodwhisperer.com or <laughs> renaissancewoodworker.com i suddenly had a moment i'm like you know i really should say something about those other guys too <laughs> and don't forget of course stop on over at the forum at woodtalkonline.com where you'll probably find one or all three of us hanging out there and deliberately deleting other people's posts because ours are so much more important mm, it's good fun. but anyways with that out of the way uh what's going on mark you still got something special planned yeah we do so today we're going to actually skip our normal format we're going to jump right into a, a discussion with dave campbell from Wood Magazine, and he's going to tell us all about IWF Atlanta. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for being here. Mark, Matt, and Shannon, it's a pleasure. Awesome. So IWF, uh, huge show, and I've got a couple questions here, but ultimately what we want to know is what what new stuff did you see? What was uh, what what struck your fancy? What blew wind up your skirt or whatever you want to say? <laughs> what, what was... or, wherever, or wherever it blows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little bit just kind of about the atmosphere of the show, guys, because I've been going to this. This is my uh, my 15th year going to uh, to the, the big woodworking show in the wow. country, whether it's uh, the IWF show in Atlanta or the AWFS show uh, in uh, in Anaheim and now Las Vegas. Um, the, this year's show uh, in Atlanta was bigger than last year's and bigger than the show two years ago in Atlanta. Um and it seemed that the attendance was up a little as well. It's always kind of a hard thing to tell when you walk on the show floor. Yeah, but I yeah. think the, the vibes that I picked up on the show uh, more than anything is uh, there seemed to be a, 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 a little more buoyant attitude uh, as far as the economy and things like that than, than we've seen for a few years. Uh, it just seemed like everybody was kind of feeling, feeling like the, uh, the market had sort of at least plateaued. Yeah. Uh, if not actually um, seeing a little bit of an uptick in in uh, in, in sales and and just everybody just felt seemed a little positive on on the upswing. Well, that that's really good to hear because a couple of years ago, the last time I went to AWFS, um, it was weird. It was almost <laughs> yes. like eerie, and there were people at uh, I won't mention names, but um, certain booths where everyone was sort of huddled together, and it was like a bunch of dead men walking. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was almost like you felt like you're almost in a funeral because they were feeling <laughs> yeah. like it, it was almost like there's these huge machinery manufacturers that you guys are, are I'm sure aware of, but there's companies like Styles that create these huge, huge, huge woodwork machines mm-hmm. that yeah. will pull a pallet of MDF in one side and spit a cabinet out the other. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and those guys actually disappeared from the shows uh, for the last couple of years. And you know. 
those guys take up a, a pretty large uh, section of the floor space at the show. Yeah. And so when they bailed out, some of their competitors bailed out as well. And suddenly the show that was, you know, three very large halls in Atlanta and in Las Vegas had gotten down to partially uh, two halls and even neither of those were full. And when those guys came back to the show this year, I think that was I think that was part of the, the the vote of confidence really in the show model and in woodworking as a whole. A couple of those big manufacturers came back, took up a lot of real estate on the show floor, and I think that contributed to um, to that sort of feeling like you know we maybe we've maybe we've already whistled our way past the graveyard now. Right, right. <laughs> Very so, nice. So do you think that this this uh, show sort of still has a role in the world of of woodworking? I mean, I know a lot of conventions uh, are starting to really drop out or, or change their format dramatically to suit today's marketplace. Uh, do you think this type of show still has a place in, in our economy and, and the way we do business now? I think it does, but I think that, you know, as you guys know, because you're a part of it, the, the internet is, is changing, uh, is changing a lot of stuff. You don't have to wait to go to a big show now mm-hmm. as a member of the media, you know, it used to be that a lot of the manufacturers would hold off on their product announcements until this big show, they would develop products, all during the year, and they would hold them back and hold them back and hold them back, and then bingo, IWF comes and out come the new products, and, and right. you know they're 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 bringing all the media in for events, and they're 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 doing all this product launch at once. Well, now there's no reason to wait because they can get that information out by email. They can send out little jump drives. They can communicate with us, you know, on their websites. So some of that media impact a little bit has diminished. Um, it's really hard for me to speak to you know the big guys like Styles and that that have those those really really huge machines. I just don't have enough information about that side of the business to mm-hmm. know. But uh, I, I think that there's still a, a role uh, for these shows. As far as end users are concerned, I, I I don't know. You know the guys that are going to these shows. Well, you've been Mark. Uh, yeah. It's there's not a whole lot there for our level of woodworking. It, it so much of it is is so much on that large hundred guy cabinet shop and above kind of thing. It is. Yeah. I mean, when I went to, what was it? AWF, AWFS for the first time I was working for Festool and I was doing just, you know, a little demonstrating and uh, they actually had the misfortune of being around those bigger manufacturers. <laughs> and um, I lost my voice within like three hours because I had to talk over these giant massive machines. Um, but, but yeah, it was, I was actually pleasantly surprised by how many people were from, you know, our sort of, uh, arena, but the vast majority of the manufacturers in there, I had absolutely other than like, wow, that's a big, big machine. Um, I had very little actual interest in most of what was on the floor, you know? So, so you're exactly. right. It is, it, it, it is geared toward, uh, deep into the industry. In fact, a lot of a lot of my customers actually go to this. Guys that buy you know truckloads of lumber from us once a week, they're the ones that were attending this. Yeah, and um, you know I think I can I can second this is a lot of them went back this year hmm. who haven't been in like three years. So that's exciting. Yeah, cool. And, and to give you some indication, you know, as far as the manufacturers that that we deal with on a regular basis, you know, the the, the tools that you guys buy, the tools that we buy, um, you know those manufacturers have not yet returned to the show. In fact, this is probably uh, this is probably the fewest manufacturers in our category that I have seen in years. A Delta, uh, which is a shadow of its former self really now, uh, is uh, they pulled out of the show about a week before the show. They, they backed out. Mm-hmm. Um, the only machinery man- manufacturers that were there, again, for sort of our class and our category, General International was there. 
and uh, the Jet Powermatic guys were there and saw stop as far as the station machinery is stationary machinery is concerned. And the only portable and benchtop people there were Bosch. And if you want to count Triton, which is a pretty small player, mm-hmm. uh, Triton is part of. Uh, um, they were there at the Craig booth because Craig is now doing their distribution. So. There was no DeWalt, there was no Festool, there was no Makita, there was no Grizzly. No Grizzly, they're, so, because their booth is usually huge. They've got that big giant bear out there. <laughs> yes, yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, wow. and actually, over the 15 years I've been going to these shows, Grizzly has sort of been in and out. Uh, it seemed like in the early days, when I first started going back in the, the late 1990s, uh, they they did not typically go to Atlanta, but they would go to the Anaheim show. And but uh, in the past five years, with the exception of I think of this year and possibly last year, they were uh, going to the Atlanta show more frequently. Okay, okay, yeah. And honestly, that's the reason why I haven't really gone very much in the past few years. I went to Vegas last year because I had the the, the uh, luck of actually judging the. Um, uh, Freshwood competition, but I didn't even stay for the show. Uh, I was like, you know, it's just it's getting smaller and smaller. There are fewer manufacturers that I'm actually interested in. There's just not as much of a reason for me to even be here. Um, so unfortunately, I mean, I'm glad to hear that the show, the big guys are still throwing their hat back into the, the ring, but I'm kind of disappointed to hear that the, the tools that we would be interested in seeing aren't really uh, finding a need to go, or I guess don't feel like it's the right time to go back. Well, I think the part of that comes down to uh, you know this this little bit of upswing we're starting to see in in attitude and optimism. I think hasn't yet trickled down into R and D. Yeah. And you know a lot of these companies have had to cut back. A lot of the, the guys that we deal with, they, they've had to cut back on their R and D. So you know as far as we used to see dozens and dozens of new tool innovations at these shows when we would go. And while there were some kind of cool things at the show this year, it, it wasn't nearly on the level of what we've seen. We, we didn't really see any completely new tools being developed here. Uh, it, it was more along the lines of modifications of existing tools. Okay, okay. Hmm. All right, well, so I guess let's get into it. Let's uh, find out what yeah. you did wind up new saying. Toys, new toys, new toys. Tell us. Well, you know... Um, you can always count on uh, on Rockler, uh, for example, to come out with with great accessories and gadgets. Sure. And they came out with one of the coolest things. And, and this, I think, came out prior to the show, but I actually got to get a little bit of hands on time with it. Uh, they have a new gadget called the Mixing Mate. Have you guys seen this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I use the same thing to make my kids' formula. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a large scale version of what's uh, what's on the uh, the table at the syrup dispenser at the Waffle House. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. basically have have a lid that goes on a finish can, whether it's a paint or or a finish or stain or a, uh, but it, it actually seals to the top of the can, a quarter a gallon can, mm-hmm. and in there is an auger that goes to the bottom of the can, and there's a crank on the outside. So. And rather than trying to stir up all the muck at the the pigments at the bottom of the stain can or the paint can, you just crank this from the outside without taking the lid off, and it keeps it all sealed in there, and it, it thoroughly mixes it. It's, it's got this auger in it that, that mixes everything up. And then you can actually pour your finish out into another container. It's got a handle on it and a trigger, and it's just like the syrup container at the diner. You pull the trigger, you pour the thing out a spout, you cut off the trigger, and it just snaps it off, no drip. Nice. Nice. And you can put a seal on the top of it so you can actually leave it on a can of finish uh, if, if it's a can of finish that you go back to frequently. And I suppose if you were going to leave it on there for six months or something, you'd want to take it off and clean it off. But even then, that 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 paddle, that auger, and the crank come, come right off real easily. And they can just be dropped into a, into a solvent or into water and cleaned up pretty easily to clean up. So that was pretty cool. And, and you know, it's, it's 15 bucks for the quart version and I think 20 for the gallon version. So even then, you could afford to have uh, you could afford to have a few of those around uh, different uh, different cans of finish around the shop. 
It sounds pretty cool. They have a knack of just coming out with these things that... Uh, it's one of those things that tends to divide people a little bit because you've got the people who are like, this is ridiculous. I, you know, I'm just going to use a standard, you know, piece of wood or something to mix this crap. I don't need this fancy gadget. But then there's another half of the population who's like, this is the most awesome thing ever. <laughs> you know, and, and every year they do that. Right here, right here. Yeah. Some, some guys, you know, there, there are people that are just, you know, completely resistant to change. I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of a gadget guy myself. So, you know, if, if I can use technology to solve a problem, I'll do it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm not embarrassed. I'm a geek. <laughs> we, you know, it's funny because I think I, I saw a picture of this. As, as I do, WF was going on, I was having some things just – I was doing Google searches throughout the day like what's the cool new thing and everything. And I happened to see this. And to be honest with you, my first uh, – what I first thought it was when I, when, I, when I first saw the picture of it, I thought it was a new and improved version of the little critter that I was using for my spray <laughs> finishing. I just thought maybe it was like, you know, you just – you didn't have to pour it into a mason jar. Just put this right onto your sprayer and off you go. <laughs> Yeah, it's hey, that could that could work, you know. Just pour it on and wipe it off with a rag, right? Yeah, there you go. And then put the lid right back on. You're all set. Perfect. There you go. There's your next million dollar idea, guys. Oh, uh, you know what? Let's it. not put this show out for a while until I can talk to the lawyers. <laughs> Everybody that's in the chat room, you're under a gag order as of right now. Yeah, get a head start on that. <laughs> you know, stuff like this. It is kind of funny though, because I, I was I joked about the the formula mixing, but it's totally true. I've got this little Dr. Brown's formula mixer that sounds ridiculous that you would even need to use it, but it makes it so much easier and faster that this is something that that I might look into. Um, I think cleaning it might be a little bit annoying but like you said Dave if you're going to be working with this stuff for a couple of days you just leave it in there and then you clean it once when you're done with that part of the project and it's nice and sealed so um, pretty pretty neat little in a, uh, I don't know what would you call it it's not a, it's an invention I guess um, it's a gadget it's yeah. a gadget. you know more it's than anything what I hate is when you crack open a can and you know you pour it into a separate container yeah. you still get that finish in that little outer groove where the lid goes on right. and it never pours cleanly from the can and it always ends up making a bigger mess and then you put the lid back on, and if you tap it down, and there's still finish in there, it like splatters everywhere. And yeah, you know, I'd buy it just for that. <laughs> yes, even if they even if they took the auger or the mixer out of it, I think that they still have a nice product there. And and I, I agree with you exactly. I think that's a that's a, a nice innovation. And this does have a really nice seal that seals right up against the top, so you wouldn't get any finish in that rim of the can at all. Oh, that's Ooh. that is nice because everybody's like, oh, you could poke holes, you know, in the rim so that it it, it drains back in. But it's, it's you shouldn't have to do that. There should be a better way, and there is, and it's only fifteen dollars. <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about some machinery at the show. Um, uh, Powermatic, actually, you know, we've we've all heard about their their big lathe now. Um, that's been out for about a month or so, and, and it's a it's a beautiful piece of equipment. But they're also, you know, one of the things that Powermatic is trying to do with their line now is they're trying to sort of focus their product line on like one major heritage heirloom tool in each category. Mm, okay. And uh, they came out with two of them that I think are going to be pretty cool. They, they have a 15-inch bandsaw now, which is basically a downsized version of their premium 18-inch bandsaw. And, uh, you know, why not a 14? Why not a 16? Well, because nobody else has a 15, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, That's what I was wondering. I saw yeah. that and I was like, really? Well, it's I always mean, going to be better than comparable 14-inch saws. I guess that's right, because it's and one little, more and a little less than the 16s. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but there's, there, it's, it's a really nice piece of equipment. It is a heavy duty bandsaw, and one of the cool things about it too, and it, you know, again, this is a, that uh, problem solving technology, is uh, you know, all the all the bandsaws are not coming with these these external blade uh, tensioners, so that you can, you know, we all know we're supposed to release the tension on the blade when we're not using it, but the you know these these gadgets like the Carter Quick Release make that 
make that possible in an aftermarket. A lot of uh, new table uh, bandsaws are coming with that on there. But what happens if you forget that the blade is not tensioned when you turn the saw on? Well, that, that can be kind of ugly. And so they've actually uh, uh, created some technology in here that will not allow the power to come onto the saw if the blade is detensioned. So nice. it's a, a nice, uh, nice little safety feature for that. But you will pay for it. The price on that uh, that bandsaw is uh, is about twenty nine hundred dollars. Okay. Nice. They also introduced a variable speed drill press, and they 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 introduced one of these. Um, I saw one of these in their uh, their Elgin, Illinois plant about five or six years ago. Uh, this one is a, is a little bit different. Um, it's got a digital display on it. The uh, the speed control on on the original one was like a lever that you would pull on the side, and it was a little imprecise. This one has a nice uh, nice hand wheel on the side of it that you crank, and it's it's a, it uses a shiv pulley, so you basically have continuous variable speed up to about three thousand RPM. And it's also got a, this amazing capacity. It has six inches of quill travel. Wow! And Whoa. It, with one turn. Of uh, of the quill, so it's not like you have to you know get two hands and crank things around two or three times to get that full travel. Oh, that's Six huge! Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's got a nice uh, woodworker uh, friendly table. Uh, the table's got uh, nice uh, uh, flat edges around the edge, a thin rim so that you can clamp easily to it. A nice fence fence that comes with it too. And again, you're, this is a heritage tool that they're in their their line. That they're really trying. You know, they want to be the Harley of power tools. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and this is a it's a thirteen hundred dollar uh, drill press, and it'll be out uh, near the end of the year. So that sounds good. And it, it really it's about time that that drill presses did start to come with features that were more geared toward woodworkers, especially when they're being sold <laughs> directly to woodworkers. Um, <laughs> it always seems like the drill press is one of those tools that you could really see those remnants of of its original use in maybe metal shops and things like that. So. Yeah, and, and I don't know why uh, I don't know why more more uh, manufacturers have not done that. I mean, it seems it, it seems obvious to me and, and to you guys as well that it seems like really all you would have to do is swap the table out. You could make the same drill press for metalworking and woodworking and just sell it in two different configurations, one with a more woodworking friendly table. It seems like a pretty simple swap to me. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, uh, I'm wondering with, with that with that 15 inch bandsaw if if they're going to that because the 14 inch uses a 93 and a half inch long blade, and if the 14 or the 15 will go straight to a 94, maybe there was a blade manufacturer that was like, dude, I'm tired <laughs> of these extra half inches. Do you want to add it or do you want to subtract it? It's maybe half you inch go down increments to a 13 are, inch. It's killing me. <laughs> Well, no. I, that's I, that. I'm looking at the picture of the saw now. It just looks like it's Big Brother. What is it? The uh, comparable 18 inch one that they yeah, came out with. Yeah, it's a downsized version of their 18 inch one. What I love about it, though, is again thinking in terms of what people are doing with these saws. It's great to see companies putting a, a fence on these saws that's actually worth a damn. Um, yeah, isn't that amazing? Seriously, fence? thank God. You know, the, the, the tall fence for resawing on it, and this saw, by the way, has a 14-inch resaw capacity out of the box. Wow. But it's, it's got this tall, it's a tall, narrow fence, but the fence actually comes off, and it's it, it, the uh, the fence body itself is like a T-square fence on you know, on the Powermatic uh, PM2000. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's it's a beefy, it locks down just like the one on, on the the, uh, the cabinet saw. <laughs> uh, but then you can take this, this fence face that's tall, and you can rotate it 90 degrees and lay it flat. So if you're working uh, with thinner stock, you can actually bring the blade guards right down close. Uh, so it's it's kind of like the unifence, but now on the on the uh, the bandsaw fence. Gotcha. That is 14 awesome. inches of resaw capacity. That's a pretty big step up from a 14 inch bandsaw, though, isn't it? It is. But if you look at the and Mark, you're looking at the picture of it there. It's uh, this thing is a tank. I mean, it's uh, it, yeah. it looks like a frame. There's I, no I, riser blocker or anything, right? No, in order no, to get it's, that. It's, uh, I believe it's I believe it's solid. Yeah, you're looking at a larger cool. it's the larger format style. Like when you jump from a 14 to a 16, it's it's definitely right. in that higher class. It does not look like a 14-inch saw. 
What about it the tower? Look like one of the tubular steel ones either. It looks like it's cast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it just looks like a mini version of the 18 inch uh, with with all the bells and whistles and everything. I mean, is is it beefy enough? What's the as far as being able to handle that kind of a resaw? Oh, I th- I think so. I think so. If okay. you look at the if you look at the uh, uh, the post between the top and bottom wheels there, the, it it is stout. It's a, it's a tough piece of gear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shannon, for you, it'd be like going from a uh, number five to a five and a quarter. It still <laughs> gives you the the same family, just a little bit smaller and still just beefy. Hey, bandsaw is like the only power tool I have left, so I'm really interested in this. I'm actually, that, that's the one area I'm looking to upgrade is a bandsaw because all I use it for at this point is the occasional resaw and when I'm too lazy to use the ripsaw. So uh, that's that's cool. Not having to go up to an 18-inch behemoth in my tiny shop is kind of a neat feature. Yeah, looks all right, like well, let's, let's throw Shannon a bone here too because Lee Valley is always one of our favorite stops at the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, they came out with some cool stuff this year. Uh, one of the ones that, that, uh, that's been getting a lot of buzz is that they have these new bench chisels out. And uh, the chisel design itself is, is typically Valley. It's very well designed. The, the edges are beveled so you can get into tight corners. And, and, uh, but, but the cool thing is they've come out with this new tool steel called PMV11. PMV11. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, you've probably heard of like micrograin carbide in association with router bits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the analogy is uh, the steel is made up of, uh, of, of small, of, of tiny particles, basically, right? And when a tool dulls, it's because those particles are breaking off. And the larger particles means there's, if you make that steel out of larger particles, then those particles, it's larger particles that will come off, so it'll dull faster, basically. And so the micrograin in the in the router bits, the tiny, 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 tiny grains of carbide they use means that it'll stay sharp longer because as it dulls, you're losing tiny, 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 tiny little chunks instead of large chunks. So that's sort of the concept behind this PMV11 uh, tool steel. It's it's uh, it sharpens with regular sharpening media. You don't need special uh, sharpening media to, to do it, but it's uh, it's intended to to stay sharp much longer and be uh, just as durable because of that micrograin sort of configuration. Uh, now the the technology doesn't come cheap here either. A, a set of five chisels uh, with this PMV11 uh, runs about four hundred dollars. And if you were to get those same five chisels in the o, uh, the O one, it would run you about two ninety five. So it's a pretty good markup on this, but it's pretty cool. We brought a set of them back, and uh, we're actually going to be testing them, including them uh, in an upcoming issue here pretty quick. So, if your initial reaction, do you think this is something that you know is worth replacing your current things, or is it just a sort of marginal gain that it, you know if you get something new or you're in the market for a particular tool, try to get it with that particular metal? You know, I want to reserve judgment on that for right now, Mark, because we, like I said, we just brought them back a couple of days ago and have just started using them, and okay. uh, we're including them as part of a, a larger, larger chisel test that we have coming out. Cool. So I, I don't have, uh, I haven't had hands on much with it except for just playing with it a little bit at the show. So uh, once our our, uh, our testers get going through those and and uh, comparing to the others, we'll have a better opinion on that. For okay, now. excellent. Looking cool. forward to it. Um, okay, so hand tools. What what else do we have? Anything else? Uh, also, another uh, another bone for Shannon here. Uh, they they came out with these uh, low profile bench dogs that I thought were pretty cool. Uh, they fit in a regular three quarter inch dog hole, but they are they're only they're less than a quarter of an inch thick, so you can use them on really thin stock without having to worry about uh, dinging your cutters uh, by accidentally hitting them. So I thought that was kind of a very simple and inexpensive, uh, nice little upgrade. 
It's like a two dog mount or something, right? It's like a plate. Yeah, it's yeah, it mounts. There's like a uh, a T track uh, that you can mount on your back. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized what I just said. Uh, I just I think I just found the title for this episode. Oh, we already went to Adult Swim, and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> I'll write this down. Two dog mount. Okay, oh, Lord. Uh, you, guys might, you guys might have remembered uh, last year that uh, that Bessie introduced uh, those uh, uh, auto adjusting uh, clamps. You guys know about those? Oh yeah, yeah, the toggle clamps, right? The, yeah, the toggle clamps where mm-hmm. you don't have to set the te- you can you can set the tension on them, but it doesn't really matter what thickness of workpiece you put underneath them. They self adjust and they will clamp to that tension. Yep. And uh, and it, um, that technology is something that uh, actually. Bessie is is using licensing that technology from another company, and now Craig is also uh, the, the pocket hole guys are also licensing that same auto adjust technology. So they came out with a line of clamps called Automax, and this is pretty cool because if if you uh, if you use pocket hole jigs much, you know that just a slight difference in thickness can really mess up with the with the regular toggle clamps that you have to use with those jigs, and and this was pretty amazing. Uh, you can just, you know, whether it's quarter inch thick or an inch thick or an inch and a half thick, there's no adjustment. Just clip, 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 and it just it just locks them all down. Wow. So that, that was a pretty That's nice, cool. uh, it seems to, like in the pocket hole arena especially, that seemed like a, a really nice thing because a little bit of difference in thickness means a lot of adjustment on, on, those, uh, on those tools. So, so, so are, that was, uh, are, they actually, cool. um, are they actually incorporating them into the, the jig units that have the clamp included in it, or is it just the accessory clamps? Yeah, the the like the face clamps they have that, that are like uh, they look like vice grips, but they have mm-hmm. the the big uh, round pads on them. Uh, they're incorporating into that. There's the bench clamp, which by the way is, a, is another really cool gadget. Uh, that it's a keyhole, as a steel keyhole plate that you inset into your bench, and it's got one pin that the clamp itself has one pin that you slip into that like a keyhole slot, and then it's got one jaw that clamps down to hold your workpiece. And they're uh, they're uh, incorporating into that line, and they've also come out with a new vice they're calling the clamp vice. And it's sort of like a, a bench vise um, that also auto adjusts to the thickness of the workpiece that you put into that. So they've they've kind of moved that technology into a couple of different things, and they're they're moving it throughout their line as well. Wow, sounds cool. Uh, speaking of sounds, there's a very big airplane. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have the best environment for recording. Um, all right, Dave. Well, we actually are going to need to jump to our discussion on fine woodworking live. Is there anything else that stood out, or anything we didn't talk about yet? No, that's. Uh, I, I do want to mention real quick. Uh, if you work with a lot of melamine, uh, that, that Freud introduced a, a new blade. Uh, that uh, it's a. You know, we've all talked about the high ATB blades like the Forest, and, and I think Freud has a, the F410 has sort of that high alternating top bevel on their blades. Uh, but Freud's new one has a has an even higher angle. I want to think it's 38 degrees. Don't hold me to that. But in addition to the top grind of the teeth and the the. Uh, the hook angle on the tooth. They've introduced a third angle, which is a shear angle on the face of the tooth. And uh, it really, in the demonstrations we saw, cutting both uh, uh, hardwood, plywood, and melamine cuts super, super clean. Wow. So if that's a material that you work in uh, very often, it's something that I think you're, you're going to want to check into because it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's uber clean for the cut. Wow. There you go, Shannon. Pick one up. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right, Dave. Well, power? Put a crank on there. Right? That's right. Just spin it. It works just as well, even if it goes very slow. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for coming on and uh, just giving us the update. I wish uh, at least one of us could have gone, but that's just the way things go sometimes. But uh, you guys are at woodmagazine.com, right? And um, as far as coverage for things that you guys uh, saw at the show, is that going to be just for the magazine or will there, is there anything on the website that people can go look at? Right now, we've got uh, on our blogs, if you go to the community section of our site, it's right there in the top nav bar at woodmagazine.com. You'll be able to see our blogs from the show. 
Uh, we're also, uh, we shot a lot of video, HD video when we were there at the show and we're in the process of editing that to get that up. We hope to have that, have that uh, up and online here within uh, within the next uh, couple of weeks. So we hope to get a chance to to check that out. There's some other stuff that was on there that I didn't cover in in, uh, in this report, but uh, too numerous to mention, as they say. Cool, cool. All right. Well, make yep, sure you give us on. those links. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we include them in future uh, episodes of Around the Web. Um, all right. Uh, anything else you guys want to say to Dave before we let him get out of here and get home? No, we will actually, no, I guess not. I was going to say, I heard that Triton came out or is introducing a smaller, more of a handheld belt sander. I'm wondering if that's going to have any effects on the belt sander races at AWFS <laughs> next year, but they might have to know, have a new uh, category. It's interesting. It's, it's a little bit, it reminds me of the design of the, uh, the compact port cable belt, uh, sander that came out a couple of years ago. It's a, it's a, it's a non-traditional look for that, for sure, um, and it uh, feels good in the hand. Uh, they also tried to apply that same sort of shape to a couple of other tools, like a power plane, and I just it didn't quite feel right there, but I'm anxious to get my hands on that trite one and try it out. Yeah, with my hand strength diminishing, I'm pretty sure it would still fly across the room without any issues. So, <laughs> uh, Matt's got a girly hand grip. What are you gonna That's do? It. Recently, it's been <laughs> happening, yes. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Dave. We appreciate it. Take care, and uh, we'll be looking forward to future coverage of the show. My Thanks pleasure. Dave. Thanks very much for the opportunity. All right. Take care. All right. So I'm going to move over to our good buddy, Rob Boas, if I can get him smoothly on the call here. Uh, so what do you think? Do we, do we, do we miss anything by not going? I mean, there's some advancements, but honestly, it's something that I get some satisfaction out of just reading on a blog <laughs> <laughs> that I don't necessarily feel like I missed anything by not actually going. Well, you know, like Dave was talking about with the attendance going up, that was one of the things I was seeing coming out through some of the blogs that I was kind of following and a few of the snippets. And it's like one of those, I, when I attended AWFS with you, I did have like that experience where I was thinking, well, this is the first one I've ever been to. And this is really lame. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that part of me that it's, I was almost thinking that it would have been unique just to be there to be kind of like, if this is the first wave of like an upsurge, like, you know, the, the yeah. recession's getting better or is the recession's ending the recession's getting better. The recession is ending. <laughs> things are starting to get better in the, the economy. I would love to see, you know, all these things as they start to progress again, back to like, you know, just this, this really awesome event. So sure. Sure. That's really the, the big thing to me that I think I, I, I missed the most. Um, well, I don't know that other than that, I, I really don't think other than just waiting to see, you know, what people are posting up there. I think another thing Dave mentioned with it, with it being so easy for companies just to throw things out there and say, you know, keep everybody up to date online. It almost seems like it, it's anticlimactic when you attend one of their events where they're like, and now we're introducing this new piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's new usually, tool steal that you've been hearing about for three months. Yeah, either you've already heard of it or it's just a small, you know, incremental upgrade that's not really that substantial. Um, right, yeah. But, you know, ultimately the thing is that the, I think the shows that are really for us in the first place, I think we're kind of looking toward that show for the wrong reasons. I think the show that's really geared toward us are things like Woodworking in America and what we're about to talk about now, which is Fine Woodworking Live. Uh, it's right. more focused on education. There, There is a marketplace and that marketplace, can you think of one vendor that you're not interested in when you walk through the, you know, WIA's marketplace? Um, you know, so, so that's totally something that, that, that is geared more toward us. And, and that's actually why we wanted to talk with uh, Rob, who should be on the line now. Rob, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you. You sound great. Nope. nope. Um, oh, Shannon can't. We might have to fix that. Nope. <clears throat> I just have to pause for a second, commend Mark on that beautiful segue from one topic to another. Thanks. It 
tears, I, tears uh, to my eyes. It was, was incredible. I wish I would have rehearsed it. It would have been better. But anyway, <laughs> Rob, thanks for coming on, dude. We appreciate it. And uh, Rob was a past attendee of, of WIA and went to this first Fine Woodworking Live. So we just wanted to to get your perspective on it, Rob, and see you know how it compared, if it's even something that should be compared, uh, just to get your general um, feelings on the show. Yeah, it was uh, kind of funny listening to Dave describing uh, IWF because uh, it's <laughs> this is sort of the antithesis of that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it really is geared, like you said, mostly to hobbyists. I would say it was 90% hobbyists at the show. Okay. And, you know, this is the first time Fine Woodworking or Taunton as an entire um, publication has put on any kind of conference. So mm-hmm. I was kind of interested to see, you know, whether they could pull it off or not because, you know, you got uh, some of these other conferences that have been going on for years and years and years. They've got all the the kinks ironed out. So sure, sure. I was actually pretty impressed with you know the job they did, considering it's the first time they've they've ever done this before. Okay, good. Um, you know, in general, it's, it was a relatively small show. I think it maxed out at uh, 300 people, and I don't think they sold out. So my guess is they had you know around 250 or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it was they want to walk before they run, so they wanted to keep it somewhat small. Um, and you know, it was a little bit different too, in that uh, it was at a college campus. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, so it was at uh, SUNY uh, New Pulse, which is you know a state school. Um, you know, some of the advantages: all the classes were in actual classrooms, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so I felt, you know, right at home, you guys will appreciate this sitting in the back row, you know, giggling with <laughs> all the, uh, I don't know what other... you're talking about, Rob. I've, yeah. I've never done that. <laughs> yeah. I was in the um, front. I was the guy in the front telling you, Shh, I can't hear him. My notes are getting messed up. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, Matt, there was, there was no trolley system to get people around at the show. So <laughs> I'm sure there was a frat room. system there that probably could have helped out, but <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we go too far into the actual classes, I, I want to step back a little bit. Is anyone surprised that they didn't sell out? And if they were trying to keep things small with a 300 limit and they didn't even hit that number, does that not, you know, does that bode poorly for the future of, of what they might do next year? You know, I I I got a chance to interview Asa Christiana, who's the the editor, and I kind of asked him some some questions along those same lines. Yeah. I said, you know, what's what's in store for next year? Is there going to be a next year? And you know, they were sort of using this as as an experiment to see how well it would go. And you know, I do think they they had you know several hundred people, so it wasn't I don't think far from selling out. I, I didn't get an exact number. Um, but more so they just wanted to see how the logistics would work and if they could pull it off. Right, right. And yeah. so I think, you know, the feedback from the attendees was very positive. It was, you know, kind of an intimate event where you really did get to, to um, talk with a lot of people. The, the classes were relatively small. Um, and they kind of set up this round robin system so that you were with the same group as you went from class to class. Um, this is kind of different than woodworking in America in that respect. Um, and I really like that because I actually went to all the classes. <laughs> you don't feel like you missed anything. <laughs> 
which is um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty unusual case. for one of these events for anybody that's attended the previous woodworking in America. Usually, it, you're stuck in like the uh, vending vendors area or uh, in the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's yeah. always always something that we we meet up later and someone goes, "Oh, I went to see this. It was fantastic," and you're like, oh, "I almost went to that," and instead I ended up here. You know, so so having an opportunity to actually know, know that you caught everything that was important uh, is pretty cool. And not only that, everybody gets to go to all the classes, whereas in woodworking in America, you kind of have to pick and choose, like you said, which ones you think you're going to like. And if you do it right and you don't, you know, dilly dally, you'll you'll actually everyone gets to see all of the the classes. So you can kind of compare notes later on at the, uh, you know, the watering hole or what have you. Sure, sure. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong on this. The, the first couple of days, of course, you have the classes, and you mentioned like the round robin. And then the, the last day is when there was the optional classes. Was is that correct? Yeah, the final day they did some some more hands on dedicated sessions where they came out of the classrooms and they had sessions. Um, in there's actually a, a real wood shop at at the college, which is kind of handy. Um, I unfortunately I couldn't make those because that's when I had my time set to interview Asa, but um, I heard those were good as well. Because right, that was actually was going to be my question. I was curious to see what the feedback was on that. Was was there a great amount of disappointment because there was a specific class that like the vast majority of people wanted to do attend? Because it always seems like it, even like unfortunately using Woodworking America is, is our, our go back. So that's our, our reference that we know the best. But there always seems to be that one class that potentially was like, oh, man, I really wanted to get to it. But for whatever reason, I couldn't. And obviously with fine woodworking, I know they're trying to limit those specifically because, well, there's only so much space and they want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to at least experience something. I, I imagine there had to be a, one or two of those opportunities on that last day with the optional classes to, that there was some definitely some disappointment. Yeah, I mean, you had a chance to pick two out of the, I want to say, about six different choices that you had. Um, the, the only disappointment I heard from any, any of the attendees that did go to those was just that some of the classes that they thought were going to be a little bit more hands-on, um, weren't quite as much. Okay. So they didn't get to, you know, get their hands dirty per se. But, uh, at the same time, I didn't hear anybody got locked out of the one that they really wanted to go to. And there were a wide variety of different options. So, well, you, you know, I was, it. I was curious about that. There was at least supposed to be a hands-on somewhat, right? What some of the classes were hands-on? The or am I making that up? No, I mean the 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 general classes, uh, none of them were really hands-on at all. Um, they were more just sort of, you know, you sat there and listened. And that was one thing I did hear from people is they would have liked to see a little bit more of that. Um, but just because of the nature, there, there really wasn't an opportunity to do that. Um, right. Well, if if you remember, that was how. Um, the original woodworking in America started out. And I just don't know that I think pop wood has even stepped away from that in past years. And people still say, I wish there was more hands on and it's just not possible. It's very, right. very difficult to, to herd that many people and, and let someone right. get to a bench and do something productive in a very short amount of time. Right. Um, That's it, why like most woodworking schools limit it to like six people per class <laughs> because right. you just can't manage a crowd. So um, I guess I got the impression that those optional ones, some of those were supposed to be hands-on, but maybe it was more of, you know, you can try this if you want. You I kind of like, I kind of walked away with the same impression, so we we must have read the same thing. Okay, I was just curious to see if they could pull it off because that seems to be kind of an elusive thing to do that no one's figured out how to do yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the, at the at the first WIA um, where they did have some of those classes, I, I sat in on one of them uh, and 
the the classroom they had there was so many people in there and it is it's logistically and, and this all this class was was creating a uh, a dado using just your chisels it was Roy Underhill and Adam Carabini were teaching the class and watching them try to give people enough attention and be able to like you know okay we have like you know uh, an hour and a half to do this and it was like hurting cats basically i mean it was really it was painful to kind of watch but at the same time there was still like that this is really kind of exciting and the only thing you're doing you're trying to accomplish is cut a straight dado with your chisel good luck with that wow. you know and so that was kind of interesting but rob one question i wanted to ask you is about the the attendees themselves now my impression from listening to shop talk live where they brought in one of the attendees it would you say it's an, a much older crowd than what we've seen at woodworking in america because there's a part of me that wonders if maybe the the attendance or the fact that they didn't sell out had something to do with the attendees and how they reached them. Because obviously if we're really broadcasting this live uh, via blog and everything else, it sounds like a number of these, at least this particular particular person, didn't really pay any attention to much online if even knew online existed. Can you recap? what? Because I didn't hear what you're talking about. I don't know what I said either. I want to know what the demographics are. For <laughs> no, the no, 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 no. I mean, the, the person you said that someone came, they asked someone a question. I don't know the story. Yeah, they brought in one of the, they, sorry, oh. the, the, the Shop Talk know. Live podcast. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, they brought in, just like grabbed a random attendee, like Asa. It sounded like it was kind of funny, actually. Asa just went out and said, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, you want to come on our podcast? Yeah, and so just the door grabbed some and just dude the out guy of nowhere. In. <laughs> yeah, so I, I applaud them for that. But yeah, he, like, he didn't know who Nick Offerman was. I never heard of Parks and Rec, right. um, and you know, I, I, which he was you know, surprised there was a woman that was actually at the attendee that was an attendee <laughs> and not somebody's wife. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if he if he actually said he doesn't know anything about online, but that you're you're right, Matt. That was the impression that I got as well. Is here is, you know, like the guys that I see at my local woodcraft who are you know don't even know that there's such a thing as online woodworking. Um, that was my impression too. Yeah, and I think that that guy that they grabbed is probably highly representative of the overall attendees. Um, I know we've we've joked about you know woodworking in America where there's and I, I I consider myself you know one of the younger guys and I'm 40 now, but um, it was yeah very much a retired you know white guy crowd you know it was there was not a lot of women um not a lot of younger younger people at all not a lot of diversification uh, there well and not yeah that not a, not a ton of diversity by by any means um and you know you kind of mentioned nick offerman and that i think that was really where it hit home because there were a bunch of us kind of the modern woodworkers uh group in the very back again um <laughs> during nick offerman's presentation or his his kind of stand-up act which nobody at fine woodworking had really previewed before he went up there and it was very racy oh that's great <laughs> nice so it was awesome watching all the editors squirm and watching you know all these <laughs> old people in the audience kind of you know looking really uncomfortable um while there was a table of us in the back you know falling out of our chairs laughing so hard <laughs> Uh, so I think that kind of sums uh, up the demographics that were there. Well, we we actually put out a call for people to give us feedback um, basically when the event happened. And we got two calls. And one was, you know, Rob said, I've, you know, I'm willing to come on the show. And Diami left us a voicemail that I'm going to play at the end of the show. Um, that was it. 
And, and I mean, it's not to, I don't want us to make it sound like it's a bad thing. It, it just, it is what it is, but it is a very interesting observation that, uh, they just, do you, do you think this is something that they could have done better? Or if this is just sort of reflective of who they are as a publication? You know, I think the, the bigger the bigger thing is that that's just who their readership is. I do think they tend to skew older, and you know, you even mentioned that Asa is making a conscientious effort to involve more, you know, um, internet channels and and trying to attract that younger generation. I know there's been a lot of kind of hubbub around, you know, online woodworking and that sort of thing, but right. I think they recognize that they need to start skewing a little bit younger because their their readers are just getting older and older. Um, well, so that, I, I think that I think that's really the issue, not not so much the event. Well, I think the most telling thing is in a recent issue of uh, Fine Woodworking. I'm reading the uh, the editor's little note at the beginning, and Ace is explaining this new thing called podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, and and I mean, I know they've been aware of podcasting uh, for for a long time, but this is now they just now got to the point that they felt that this was a worthwhile thing for them to do. Uh, which which is kind of interesting, but it is very telling about what what their goals are and, and sort of that the, I guess they see part of their future must be this online environment. Um, so so I was just a little bit disappointed. I mean, I know when there's a small sample size of only you know two hundred something people, it's difficult to find uh, people who happen to listen to our podcast or follow one of the three of us on Twitter. Uh, but we made a pretty good effort to to try and get more representative feedback outside of the podcasting world, just general public people who attended, and we just couldn't get anybody to to uh, to to basically show up for us. So, yeah. you know, the the other thing that might have been at play because uh, woodworking in America ran into this in two thousand nine when they had two conferences. Yeah, they had a design one out in Illinois, and that was in August, and that was very poorly attended. I think August is just a bad time. It is. I mean, it's kids a huge going, vacation yeah. month. Yeah. Well, and, and kids when you're going talking about a younger demographic with who have kids who are out of school, yeah. they can't go, you know? So I wonder, you know, before, we, before I, I was about to say before we pass judgment, we're hardly doing that. But I think that, you know, the people that were able to go will naturally skew to that demographic anyway. So, hmm. um, you know, find, popular woodworking, in other words, got bit by the same thing in 2009. Let me ask you this, Rob. I, I we kind of moved a, a little bit in a, a different direction, which I think was my fault. But one question I, I wanted to ask about the uh, the classes that everybody attended the, the round robin kind of a thing. Did you feel that there was like a, enough time for the topic that was being discussed to actually be discussed to be able to even bring in questions and answer things in a in so that everybody had an opportunity to really to have their their question answered. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think, and I, and I want to make a point of calling this out, I think they did a fantastic job with the classes themselves. Um, okay, cool. You know, they they weren't, again, they weren't hands-on classes, but it I was, you know, I was concerned early on. Like, I, there was one class on, you know, tuning up old hand planes and bringing them back to life. And, you know, I've kind of done that. I've, I was kind of thinking I wasn't going to get a whole lot out of that. But I did, and I was riveted throughout the entire class. So I think the the presentations were really, really good. You know, each of the presenters gives the same presentation like six times during the course of the show. <laughs> so um, you probably catch them on the third and fourth one. That's the best. By the last one, they're sort of like, you know, glazing over a little bit. But um, And they also did, and this is a knock that, that we've heard about woodworking in America in the past, is that... Um, they did a fantastic job with the videography. Um, they had professional videographers there. They had really high quality HD, you know, professional grade cameras. 
and really good quality um, projection. So even in the back row where I always was, uh, you could, and Asa refers to it as that kind of magic four inches where you can, you can really see exactly what the person is doing. So they, they did a great job of that. And That's yeah, they, they did a good job on the timing. The, the only one that went long was Michael Fortune's session on wood bending. And the only reason for that is that the uh, fire marshal came in and wouldn't let him do his steam bending in a classroom, believe it or not. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> so we had to march outside and uh, his wife was out there manning the um, the steam box as we all kind of got out there. And then we, we did it out on the kind of on the quad. But that's awesome. All other sessions, they stayed right on track. Um, you know, clearly they were rehearsed and well, well executed. So I, I give them a lot of credit for the content in the classes themselves. Do you, oh, do you have a perspective on skill levels? Did the classes sort of slant more beginner or would someone who's fairly advanced in the craft get, actually have something? Well, you yourself said something as simple as uh, plane rehabbing, you got something out of. So I'm just curious if, you know, if the classes were geared to any particular skill level. Yeah, I thought there was a pretty good range. Um, Garrett Hack did a session on on details within woodworking, which was largely inlay and stringing and um, some more advanced techniques that I, you know, I think were probably a little bit um, beyond some of the people in the class, but they still got a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, there were some that were a little more rudimentary um, and some just around, you know, basic joinery and what joinery is best for which situation, how wood movement can affect, you know, which joints you decide to use in a piece. So it was, it was a pretty good range. And I have to say, even the like I said, even the ones that I didn't think I was going to get a lot out of, I still had three or four kind of key takeaways that I'll, I'll incorporate into the stuff I do in my own shop. Nice. Do you, does anyone and this Rob or anyone else uh, have any idea whether they're going to do anything with the footage uh, that they recorded uh, like for later purchase or distribution? You know, I was wondering the same thing because I've seen very little coverage from fine woodworking right. on the event. Right. You know, there's been a couple of blogs here and there that kind of wrote about it, but I haven't seen anything. It just seems like one of those things, like Rob, you mentioned how good the quality was. Well, clearly they hit the record button while they were doing that. Um, it would seem like a real waste to not create something out of that and have a, a just give me a DVD that I could buy called Fine Woodworking Live 2012. You know, so I can actually, I don't know, I would make me feel good because I didn't get to go. Uh, but I would drop, you know, 40, 50 bucks on something like that if it covered every session. Yeah, I didn't hear anything as to what they're going to do. Um, you know, I'm assuming that they recorded, you know, the speakers were mic'd up uh, and obviously it was the video was was running. Yeah. Um, but I haven't heard anything. And, and you're right. They haven't, as far as I know, posted anything. Uh, I think it's been us bloggers that have posted more than anything else. Um you know, even catching some video of Nick Offerman that we were encouraged, yeah, go and put that online. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what if anything they're going to do. So that's going to be interesting to watch then because it, it makes you wonder what I, I, I would like to find out or did Asa give you any indication of, of, well, you, you did ask him about that, what, what the future is, but it just seems like they, they could push it more, you know, to, to garner interest and, and sort of, um, get us interested in next year, you know, make us see that it's a, a can't miss event. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what kind of obligations they have toward the presenters as well. I mean, I know, you know, Michael Fortune's session on woodbending is something that he's sort of, you know, published himself. So maybe he wouldn't want that, you know, put on a video uh, and, and just distributed. But um, yeah, it would be really interesting to see 
what they do. Yeah, it's that whole. I would just think you know property. your typical YouTube type video that's three minutes long that shows the fun that was had would be a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, the fun, the the detail, the instructors, you could do like a, you know, three second snippet of every class just to be like, whoa, oh my God, that's a lot of woodworking in a weekend. I want to go to that. I don't know. Well, I hope they do something because I I mean, the thing is, if you look at the number of people uh, that actually could attend and, you know, the potential audience that they would even be able to, to sort of entertain in an event like this is such a small percentage of the total number of people who actually do have interest in what happened but can't go. Um, so, you know, it, I understand the whole intellectual property thing, and that's, of course, an issue, but I really wish people would get past that and realize that this is a worldwide audience that you can now sell your information to, and the people who <laughs> want to go to live events will probably still go to those live events, regardless of whether uh, this content is produced for distribution. Um, yep. You know, we'll, well see. You know, that's that's my, my final question for you, Rob, is I, I think a big question that a lot of people have also is... If you had the opportunity, would you attend next time around if they if they come back with it? Yeah, I mean, for me, honestly, it would sort of depend on the location. And, you know, woodworking yeah. in America is even like that for me to a certain degree. Um, you know, the the outskirts of Poughkeepsie, New York, isn't a huge draw for me, but I can <laughs> drive there. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can drive there. The other issue I had, too, is that because of the location, there really weren't a lot. There wasn't a lot of options in terms of lodging. And I travel a lot for my day job and I have kind of certain standards that I set for the types of places I'll stay in. You and, snob. Uh, I know, I know, I am. <laughs> but yeah, the Motel 6, you know, off the highway just isn't cutting it for me. So I had to stay a half an hour away, which was which was kind of not that cool. It sort of... Yeah, that's not good. Um, that sucks. So I would definitely be more likely to attend next year if it were in an area where there was a lot more you could sort of walk to and I'll be in one place. That's what I really liked about woodworking in America um, where everything's sort of self-contained and there's lots of lodging. So if, uh, you know, kind of similar question, if you, if all things were equal, which event would you choose if you could only go to one? Well, frankly, a lot more of the people that are in my kind of networking community, the people that I know in the woodworking world go to woodworking in America. Um, you know, that being said, they're sort of splitting us in half this year. So right. that's going to kind of, which maybe is good because there are a couple guys that I don't, I don't think I'm even allowed in the same town with anymore. <laughs> yeah, I just got the list today from the Cincinnati police. You're right. <laughs> Matt, I don't even think you and I are allowed to be there at the same time. Yeah, we're actually on that list. That's great. Yeah, I had a feeling. Um, but yeah, to me, it's more about it's more about the community. Um, I you know I do get a lot of, out of the classes, but I'm much more willing to travel a longer distance if I get to sort of network with all the people that I ordinarily only c- communicate with online or you know through internet channels. So, well, and I think the the take home here is that this really was like you said, Rob, a test bed, you know, for for what they're thinking about doing in the future. So if they got enough information out of this and, and sort of can refine what they do, I'd be excited to see what they're going to come up with next year if they decide to do it again. Um, I think I think it could definitely be. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the different personalities of the magazines, I want what's in Fine Woodworking magazine to be what they bring to their live event. You know, I exactly. want to see some of that higher level stuff being done uh, to really differentiate it from from something that we might see at Woodworking in America. Not to say that that's you know that they don't cover detailed and, and higher level things there as well, um, but I think it is more uh, sort of that public. F- fun event, I would almost want to see the fine woodworking live thing turn into a little bit more of a concentrated, uh, maybe even a little more hardcore, uh, th- yeah. th- something that you would go to, uh, to really get and get some of that hands on opportunity. Yep. 
I agree. Cool. Yeah, definitely bring bring what we expect from them to it, which is what it sounds like. It sounds like that that's the way it turned out. So, or yeah. at least that's what I got from Rob, but I don't really listen to Rob very much. So <laughs> you were sleeping this whole time. <laughs> oh, dude, great. Thanks, man. No problem. Cool. All right. Well, Rob, thanks for coming on, dude. I appreciate it. You could uh, go check out Rob's blog at the Boas shop. That's B-O-I-S shop at uh, .blogspot.com or your uh, your professional woodworking site, which is Newton newtonwoodworking.com. Did I get all those right? You got all that right. Yep. Awesome. And uh, Rob does some excellent blog posts and uh, fantastic videos, covers a lot of his projects on his blog. So you definitely want to go and check him out. He's a cool dude. And hey, thanks for uh, giving us your perspective on the show. This was awesome. Hey, no definitely. problem. Thank Had you. fun. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Take care, Rob. We'll see you later. See ya. All right, guys. Um, Sweet. Well, you know, one thing I, I want to kind of throw out there, and again, I I, I I hate giving that comparison. We always we we have nothing else to compare it to. Yeah, woodworking kinda, America and Fine Woodworking Live. Yeah. But both of them, the genesis is almost identical. Fine Woodworking America started out at a college setting. They had to bus people in because there was no immediate lodging or enough to be able to support everybody. Right. Um, so it, it's really interesting seeing how both of them really kind of mirror each other and if that's the situation i think fine woodworking could easily keep this going and just get better and stronger um so it's 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 something i'm really looking forward to well and maybe maybe the attendance issue really comes down to location i mean the way Mm -hmm. rob described it that doesn't sound like a place that anyone is going to either you know because a lot of times some of these people will um, you know, and you guys, I don't know, Shannon, if you've ever brought your wife, I know Matt, you brought uh, Samantha with you. Um, Absolutely. It, it she is, comes to all of them. <laughs> I mean, it's very helpful if you go to a place where there might be some other things that your spouse can do, uh, right. while you're at the show. So, so actually having a destination, like for instance, Pasadena, uh, you know, Southern yeah. California, that's not too hard to convince uh, your significant other to come along with you if they're not interested in the woodworking stuff. Um, so, so I think the location could very well have been the issue and that could, who knows? I mean, they're not stupid. That could have very well been an intentional part of their strategy uh, to keep things under wraps. Let's test the water. Let's not go crazy with this. And then really the next year, let's make a more strategic move and really knock it out of the park. Yep, right. absolutely. I, I hope well, so. I have I have a sister-in-law that lives probably 40 minutes from New Paltz, mm-hmm. and we still didn't go. <laughs> so, I mean, there's right – Folks are right. I looked into it because I really wanted to go because, as Rob said, it was really, I mean, like a, maybe a three and a half hour drive for me. Yeah. And um, I couldn't find a single place to stay that was inside a 30 minute drive. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Convenience. I don't, don't want to have to get up early <laughs> to drive Dude. like I do to go to work every morning. Well, see, I just, and I uh, one, of the, interested. one of the best things about these types of shows is they're, they're vacations for us. They're escapes. Yeah. And, yes. and there's nothing better than you can go to one of these events and you never have to drive again once you get there. You could walk to the convention center. You could walk to the hotel. You could walk to the restaurants or the bar that everybody's hanging out at at night. You can drink because you don't have to drive. I mean, there's so many benefits to having the the locale be very strategic and that people can just uh, walk to where they need to go. Um, So hopefully if if they can do that next year, I mean, maybe we'll wind up going. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm saving up some vacation time for some of these fancy schmancy woodworking things. (laughs) These things are great, man. I mean, I I love the fact, I absolutely love the fact, number one, that, that popular woodworking did woodworking in America in the first place. And then on top of that, the other magazine, you know, one of the other big magazines uh, feels like they need to do it too. Uh, I, I mean, we all kind of benefit from, from this competition that goes back and forth. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it, it only makes sense to take advantage of the, you know the, the star power that you essentially have between your pages, especially when you have you know a, a regular cast of individuals that, of authors that are showing up, and these are indiv- you know people that when you're, you're reading their stuff, you know you're going to get something really good from it, regardless of whether it's a topic such as Rob mentioned, you know, with the the, the hand planes, you'll get kind of redoing those and stuff like that. Sure, I'm familiar with it. Sure, I've done it enough times. But if I pull out one maybe two golden nuggets out of that that maybe i didn't even think of before to me that 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 pays for it right there yeah right i think the key and you know to popular woodworking and fine woodworking because i know you of course are riveted to this broadcast is don't try to like mimic one another because i think that's that's the real thing i worry about is they start to kind of try to compete with one another, yeah. yep. then my, as an attendee, I'm forced to make a decision. But it sounds like they're very different personalities, and the magazines are very different personalities. If they can kind of stay true to that, I think it'll be really exciting. Well, see, because it's not, it's not which one do I go to, it's you know, how do I get to both of them? You know, yeah. it, they, it's like beer manufacturers. I like <laughs> Bud because I like the taste of Bud. I like Miller because I like the taste of Miller. I don't want them to taste like each other. I want them to be <laughs> their own unique thing, and I want to enjoy it because I enjoy them. Well, I don't well, enjoy Miller so much. Isn't that why, like, we had that discussion, I don't know, maybe we had it a couple different times, about the magazine's different personalities, and, and we mm-hmm. were definitely, uh, you know, at least one or more of us had said something about, you know, fine woodworking having sort of a stuffiness to them. Uh, But at the same time, I think we expressed that that's okay. That's what Uh I expect when I pick up my fine woodworking magazine copy. I want to, I want to see fine woodworking be fine woodworking. I don't want to see fine woodworking try to be pop woodworking. And I don't want to see pop woodworking try to be fine woodworking. I love the fact that there is, that there are differences between these two publications, their personalities, and then by extension, their events that they hold. Um, and that, like you said, Shannon, I want to be compelled to go to both, not, not choose between the two. Yep, exactly. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully they'll, uh, hopefully they'll. I don't know. Don't listen to us because we're usually we don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> we'll send this um, snippet to them and let them decide for themselves. Yeah, and, and the key point, as was brought up in the chat room, we represent a very, very small segment of woodworkers. <laughs> you could go to these events and no one has ever heard of Wood Talk Online. Yeah, you yeah. know, you can ask thirty people and none of them will have ever heard of the show. Or, or you could be at a class in uh, at the Roy Underhill uh, School and talking about your own podcast. And somebody goes, you have a podcast? Oh, totally. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. And, and out, see, of, out of the seven people in the class, only one of them. And I was really shocked and surprised <laughs> that only one of them knew. <laughs> now, and I, I totally agree in terms of the total, uh, you know, total sort of selection of woodworkers out there. But in one respect, you have to think about this. When you look at uh, what, what were the numbers for your average woodworking in America? 400? Did, did you guys say we ballparked it? Something like well, that. Yeah. Yeah, lately it's been five hundred. But the what was the first one, Matt? Berea was really small. Yeah, that was that was like the four hundred. That was the number that popped oh, in my head because okay, they, yeah. they sold out. And even though Berea said you're not going to sell out, they said, "Oh yeah, watch us." <laughs> all right. Well, my point is when the entire you know Modern Woodworkers Association people, all of them go, all the people who are sort of you know associated with them, people like us, when we all go to the same event, that's a lot of people. And when you're only talking about four hundred people, we're all willing to go. Yeah. You know, so yes, there's a lot of other woodworkers who aren't aware of this, but the people who have the biggest mouths and the most access to other earball, you know, earballs, I like that. Um, 
you know, are this this specific group of people. Yes, we're a small niche, but I think it's a pretty powerful niche that you want at your event because yeah, yeah. we're loud. You know, well, yeah, and look at all the people like when you see the, the 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 chatter online, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, and everything else. The first thing they're doing is like, when is it going to come back around again? When am I going to have a chance to do this? When am I going to sign up? What you know, what should I do to get ready to sign up for it? And it's like, well, just we'll let you know. <laughs> right. All right. So there you go. Um, you know, we'll be on the lookout for the the next event. I think um, we're all between the two different woodworking in America events. At least one of us will be attending each one of those. Um, so we'll definitely have something to say about that. But I, I really hope to make it next year so I could judge for myself uh, if they do decide to do another Fine Woodworking Live. Um, but yeah, we'll keep you posted as always. And unfortunately, we're a little bit late on this one. It's been a couple of weeks, but uh, the show deserves uh, some airtime. We definitely wanted to talk about it. So, Well, from what it sounds like, we still beat Fine Woodworking to it. So we're doing pretty good. <laughs> oh, Matt, hey, am oh. I going to have to go edit that out? Oh. <laughs> well, I mean that in the nicest way. They're still they're putting together something really, really nice that's going to blow us all away. I firmly believe that, and it's not being sarcastic. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, let's uh, let's do some contact info, and we will get the heck out of here. All right, of course, if you want to get a hold of us, don't forget you can Skype us at Wood Talk Online. Leave a message over there. You can leave a message on our voicemail at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Stop by the forum at woodtalkonline.com. And, of course, we'll have all this information in the show notes to make sure that you can find it. Because if you have a memory like me, you just forgot it. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, thanks to uh, Rob Bowes and Dave Campbell for joining us on this show. And thank you guys for just being awesome and just such good-looking people. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, I can't, <laughs> can't deny that. <laughs> yep, that's true. That's true. Uh, all right. So we'll catch you uh, in roughly two weeks. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the chat room for hanging out with us. See you. Bye. Hello, Wood Talk Online. This is Diami from the PenultimateWoodshop.com and the ModernWoodworkersAssociation.com. Just wanted to comment on uh, the great event that Fine Woodworking Live was. <laughs> There's, uh, as with many woodworking events, there were basically three main components. There were the classes, the marketplace, and the people. The classes ran a little bit differently than other conferences I've been to, where there was an all-conference session on Friday and Saturday morning, and then each day was followed by three core classes and they took all the attendees, broke them up into groups, and everyone rotated through the total of six core classes. So you were able to attend all six classes if you stayed for Friday and Saturday. On Sunday, you were able to pick two of, I want to say, 10 or 12, I don't know the exact number, what they called electives, which were smaller classes with hands-on opportunity. Uh, the class selection was limited, especially when compared to Woodworking America. There were only six core classes. Um, and some of them were basic, things like sharpening. But I heard comments from everyone that even the basic classes, people were able to glean a little bit of information about uh, out of. So from the um, complicated classes, such as how to bend wood, to the simple classes, such as sharpening, I think they were all very well-done classes, and everyone learned at least something, if not a lot, from the classes. There was a marketplace component to find woodworking live, but again, to compare it to woodwork in America, it was tiny. It was very high-quality but there were only four vendors, two actual uh, tool vendors, Lee Nielsen and Lee Valley. You're not going to get better than them. And then uh, two schools, the Connecticut School of Woodworking and Peters Valley Craft Center. So the schools, I guess the schools are at Woodworking America, but they're so dominated by the boutique builders that I don't appreciate the schools that are at Woodworking America. This was a more even balance. As I said, it was a very small marketplace, but you certainly can't complain about the quality of what was for sale in the marketplace. The result of it being small was that the marketplace wasn't the social hub 
that the marketplace at Woodworking America was. You wouldn't come here just for the marketplace. On the other hand, Lee Valley did offer the same discounts they offer at Woodworking America, so you get the same benefits of hitting those stores up in the respective marketplaces. Then to get to the final point of people, the, uh, the people at Fine Woodworking Live were fantastic. I've said on multiple occasions that the people are what make Woodworking America such a special event, and it, the exact same thing can and should be said about Fine Woodworking Live. It was a smaller group. This was their inaugural, inaugural event, so I think it was about 250 attendees, if I had to guess. Um, a little bit smaller than Woodworking America, but a great group of guys. And uh, both the attendees and the lecturers were very easy to talk to, sit down, uh, talk about woodworking. And I will say that many of the lecturers were even willing to come out with us after the event. And uh, that was nice to just hang out and socialize with them. So uh, overall, just a great event, absolutely worth attending. Um, my suggestion would be, if you're a woodworker, hit up one of these conferences, find Woodworking Live or Woodworking America. I don't know that it really matters which one you go to. Go to the one that's logistically easier for you to attend, and you will definitely have a good time. If you can attend two, I would say hit find Woodworking Live and a Woodworking America rather than both Woodworking Americas. And, hell, if you don't work and you have your uncle's inheritance, go to all three. What the hell? Why not? Um, but definitely an event that's worth attending. And if anyone can, I would highly recommend you try to make it up there next year. Thanks, guys. Keep up the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.